0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the voice of TBT, Bob Rathman, welcoming you to another edition of Inside TBT. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Joey.
1: Another episode of Inside TBT. And we have two staples from the tournament here on today's episode. I don't know if it gets much better than the voice of the TBT,
2: Bob Rathburn and the mind behind the greatest part of the TBT, the Elam ending Nick Elam himself, which we've had on before, but now he just knows us a little bit better. We know him a little bit better and it just made for an awesome, awesome interview. Not to say that, I mean, Bob Rathburn interview was the most fun that we've had in a while. he, I
1: just can't get over his voice. Yeah, he he has an amazing voice. And what I think was cool about these episodes or these interviews were we actually recorded with Nick, like, right after we talked to Joe Johnson. And Nick was like, I love Joe Johnson. That was so cool that he was in TBT. And we were like – and we got to tell him that he said he loved the Elam ending. And then it was weird because when we talked to Bob, Bob was like, I think the world of Nick Elam. So, like, each guest has been, like, coincidentally had – something to say about the previous guest so it's almost amazing that the tbt
2: everybody loves everything it's it's bizarre right like what other sporting event are people like everybody is on board like who doesn't love uh of a a survive in advance ncaa style march madness style tournament for a cash prize at the end like who's not going to get behind that and then you can go down all the rabbit holes of the elam ending former nba players like it's like Oh,
1: what is there not to love? Agreed. Well, we'll get to those interviews and listen to Bob because he talks about a pretty cool potential addition to TBT 2021. All right, join us now on Inside TBT, the play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Hawks, but more importantly, he's called the last three TBT championships. Bob Rathbun, Bob. Welcome to the show, fellas. How are you? <laughs> we well, are one doing close good. <laughs> <to> TBT.
2: <laughs> oh man, can we just uh, should we just start with with the voice? You're the voice of the TBT. It's it's it must be an honor for you.
0: It is. It, it, I look so forward each summer uh, to TBT. Uh, me and my boy Franny, Priscilla, and we have an absolute blast. Uh, the only thing about last year was we couldn't be there. You know, in person, we had to do it remotely, as now we've all kind of gotten used to. But uh, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we'll have this vaccine and things will be rolling and we'll be back in the arena with fans and the players and the staff and and do it upright this summer. We're hoping to be there, too, so we got to hang out, the three of us. Yeah.
1: Where are we (laughs) going to go? Maybe we'll go to uh, Kevin Rathbun's Steakhouse if there's uh, any games in Atlanta. (laughs) We have standing invitation. <laughs> we're we're going to start you off with a nice softball. Okay. All right. What were some of your favorite moments from TBT last summer? Well, uh,
0: you know, for, we'll put the basketball to the side for a second. I, I just think that what John and the staff was able to pull off, you know, those were the early days of trying to put sports back together in our country. And I thought John and, and real everybody with TBT just did an amazing job, uh, to pull that tournament off. You know, we had our Jen Hale inside the bubble and, you know, she's getting tested every day and opening up that email to see if she was negative or positive. And, you know, what the guys did to go through that and, and play and dedicate themselves, you know, for the time that they were in Columbus, um, uh, Really set the tone, I think, for a lot of different leagues. I think everybody learned a little bit from what TBT did, and you're seeing that I think extended even to the NCA tournament coming up in March in Indianapolis. A lot of the lessons that TBT um, found uh, learned really in in their bubble were applied to other leagues and and other teams. So, uh, first and foremost, my memory of last summer's TBT uh, was the uh, just a great job that everybody did to stage a tournament. Then the basketball, you know, I, this thing never disappoints. Uh, the games are great. The personalities, you know, as we get to know them through the tournament, started to come out. Uh, I mean, Travis Diener, is, is that not the greatest story of all time in TBT history? Uh, to do what he does and uh, the fun that they have with it, I think, are my greatest takeaways.
2: When you're, Calling an Atlanta Hawks game, obviously, it's a little bit different than calling a TBT game. Um, What are some of the most notable differences, whether good or bad, that you see when, um, you know, looking at it from an announcer's perspective in terms of – or a play-by-play perspective in terms of the NBA versus TBT?
0: Well, Joey, I got to tell you, there's not a whole lot of difference uh, in in the way that we approach it, you know. um, You know, whether I'm with Fran or Seth or – you know, Dockage or, you know, when Chris comes in to do play-by-play, we really don't change what we do uh, in terms of of calling the game. There's no difference. Uh, you know, Franny and I are both, you know, hoop junkies like you guys are. And so we're excited to learn about these players. Uh, so many of them were collegiate stars, maybe not at the, at the high Division I level, but they were great college players. And they have gotten so much better since they played in the pros overseas, and they bring all of that back to TBT. I thought it was fabulous to have Joe Johnson in the tournament last summer. Uh, that got me excited uh, because, I, you know, Joe's a dear, dear friend from his time playing here for the Hawks. And, and to see him in the tournament and the way he was able to give back You know, the guys, I mean they were the guys that played the I mean they look it up to Joe Johnson like, oh my God, we got a a real six time all-star, and Joe couldn't have been more gracious. So I I think that that calling the games, there's really no difference between this and a Hawks game or or Fran being on a a Big Twelve game on ESPN this winter that you see him on. We we approach it the same way.
1: So you mentioned Joe. Uh, we interviewed him last week. Great interview. We, were, we, we love He's him. He's the best. He's the <laughs> He's best. The, uh, the opposite of Joe Johnson, name that comes to my mind, is Ott Elmore. Oh, man. They were head-to-head. That's what I was going to say. What were your thoughts on, you know, the heard That uh, versus Overseas Elite matchup and just the overall Ott Elmore saga of last year?
0: But that that's what makes TBT great, right? I mean, you got a world class all-star, a guy that's probably gonna to go to the Hall of Fame one day, Joe Johnson, and playing against Ott Elmore, you know, and here comes the herd. And I mean, it was just it was just such great fun. And those guys could play. And was Ott not tremendous with some of his quotes after those games? He you kept
1: know. us, he 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 kept our jobs for us. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he renewed us for a year too. Because I don't know if you saw this last year, but after the after they played the money team, he said, you know, we asked him a question, we were like, you know, there was some trash talk. What was being said? And they're like, Well, basically, they were making fun of my weight, you know, they play in the NBA, I'll play at the Y And that's <laughs> what he was saying. And uh, ESPN DM'd us and was like, "Hey, can we use that clip on highly questionable?" We were like, uh, yeah, of course." <laughs> so that got us this—that got us a second
0: year of Inside TBT. Nice, nice. Yeah, but it's stuff like that that just makes this tournament so much fun, you know. Uh, Money's on the line. There's no question, and everybody wants to win it. But we all know that when we get started, it's really for the love of the game and 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 playing. Uh, some summer basketball and staying in shape and, you know, going after that big prize is certainly the carrot that's out there. But I think, you know, just the camaraderie and the sportsmanship is what makes it so much fun.
2: So you mentioned, Fra- you've mentioned Fran so many times that we might have to pay him after this episode, but, um, you know, oh boy, be- beyond Fran, you said you got Seth Greenberg, you got Dan Dockich, all of which for some reason really have taken a liking to us, which, which is very, very funny. But in your opinion, and maybe you're a little bit biased towards Fran. Who's your favorite guy to call games with?
0: Well, I, I work with Fran. You know, I think I had one game with, with Dan, or maybe two, last summer. Uh, because, you know, he was right there in Indianapolis. But, you know, he would, he would leave us and then go do his radio show. Or <laughs> do his radio show and then come back to us at night. Uh, but I love all those guys. You know, Seth and I go back, because uh, I've called ACC games and still do, um, for over 30 years, and so uh, I got to know him when he was coaching Virginia Tech. So we've been friends. Uh, Dockett and I have so many mutual friends, and we've had a chance to work together. I think we we may have done a couple of games in Atlanta uh, three summers ago. Uh, so we're we all are close. You know, we're all good friends. We all text each other all winter. You know, uh, I texted Seth the other day. I think it was Saturday. And he did something on the board um, during one of the games where he, was, he had the replay going, and he would stop and start the replay, and he'd draw on it, and then he'd highlight. And I texted him. I said, there is no way Dockage could ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way. So I got a big laugh. But we – you know, when Dockage got COVID – about a month ago, I texted him, obviously, to see if he was okay. And, and he said he was. He, he was feeling better. And I said, I could just see the headlines in the Indianapolis uh, newspaper. When they took you into the doctor, Dockage gets COVID, x-rays of head show nothing. He <laughs> <laughs> loved that one. <laughs>
2: oh, man. And we know the Dockage is obviously his son was my teammate and would. good Good friends with us, the uh, the head jokes in the Dockage family uh, are that's that's a generational trait because uh, yeah, whether what we we still the jury's out on on they got they got those big heads the jury's out on if there's anything inside them.
1: <laughs> I love it, Bob. Our favorite, and this could soon be you, and we'll explain why. Our favorite guy is Chris Vosters because up-and-coming star, and he shouted us out during an Ohio State game. So the heat is on really? you. Really?
0: Yeah, so the heat's on you. You're up. you got to shout us out. Ooh, but well, let me ask you guys a very serious question. Sure. Do you have league pass? I do have league pass. Yes, I
1: do as well. Ah,
0: okay. Now that you can watch, I may just throw a little something out there. <laughs> so be ready. Well, I got a good way that you could fit it in. We'll, and wait, actually, we'll, wait, we'll wait till this airs. Well, okay. well so you don't really need to
1: – right, and you don't really need to say anything. What you can do is you can say something like this, man, Trey Young is on fire right now. How good would that guy be in the Elam ending? Shout out <laughs> inside TBT.
0: Well, I am on a personal crusade to get the Elam ending into the NBA. Yes. And, every, and I tweeted it the other night, that Denver-Phoenix double overtime game, Saturday night. What I want us to do is just like the shootout in the NHL. They, they would never put the Elam ending in to decide a regular season game. But my proposal is put the Elam ending in as a substitute for regular season overtime. So you don't get you know three overtimes, four overtime. You know, stop that nonsense and let's go to the Edelmanic. I'm telling you, the fans will lose their minds. It's so exciting. The players will love it, just like they did at the All Star game last year. Uh, the players will fall in love with it. The coaches are gonna are gonna fall in love with it when they figure out that I, you mean I don't have to play another thirty minutes of basketball to decide a five-minute overtime, they're going to love it. So I'm on a crusade. I give I give uh, Nick all the credit in the world, every chance I get to speak about it, because I want this to be not only TBT's signature, but I want to get it in the NBA. I think uh, we found out how exciting it could be in the All-Star game, and I think it'd be a great way to determine overtime.
2: I, I think you bring up a great point because my biggest gripe, and it's not even – that's not fair to say, with it being implemented in the NBA – is, you know, being – I think that a lot of people would, would take into account the fact that it would change record books, right? Like <laughs> – but to your point, if it's just regular season overtime games, how many are there really in a year? It, it makes it more exciting, and my argument is out the window. That's the only – the only thing I could – it's like, you know, if, if you add a four-point line, like, yeah, it could be fun, but it would also ruin stats forever. You know, so I don't know. That's my that's that's my only thing.
0: Well, is anybody wringing their hands watching these guys who play for twenty years and shoot a thousand three pointers, eclipsing all the great scoring records that Neek, Jabbar, all these guys did without a three pointer?
2: No, that's you're, it's exactly right. Don't worry that's about that. The that's so, what you worry, worry about? Counter overtime.
0: Counter. For? <laughs> No, it it would be the greatest thing to happen in the NBA since they put in the shot clock.
2: Well, players, no doubt, would want it, right? Because they don't want oh, yeah. to play a triple overtime game and then play it back to back across I was the country. Right. To say like, that,
1: I
0: was just going to say that no, exactly. I mean, thinking, I've done get me out of here. Let's see, I've done three, four overtime games. One of them was against the Bulls. It was last yep. year. Yeah. And uh, – we had one against Utah, and then another one against the Knicks, I think. And Paul Millsap played in two of them. He played one for us and one for Utah. <laughs> but I mean, four overtimes. And you look at the box score at the end of the game. It has you know the elapsed time of the game, and it's like three hours and ten minutes. It's like you got to be kidding me. But it would eliminate all that. But I think the cool thing is the fans would just eat it up. Hundred percent. And I don't know what the magic number would be. What do you guys think would be a good you know, can't be like we do, you know, eight. That's that's not enough points. Uh, yeah.
1: well I think for these I, guys. Think,
0: I think what you would have
1: to do is you'd have to take the average points scored by the winning team in overtime and then like subtract it by two or four. Because the point would be to reduce the amount of time and to keep these guys fresher for the next games, you know. Like KD, yeah. when that Celtics-Nets game went into double overtime, he didn't play the next game. He's right. probably playing if it's just a regular season, right. you know, back-to-back.
0: I was to back. thinking like around 11. Yeah, Eleven, 12, that's a good number.
2: 11's, like 11's perfect because that's the number that every kid in the world grows up playing to. Yeah,
0: and Pick up there you go. This. But and, you know, in TBT, it can go quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you come oh, down, no. if you get the ball first and you hit a three, and then you hit another three, it's over. The next time down, it's over. Yeah, pretty much. So I would like to see it a little bit bigger, especially the skill level of these guys in the NBA uh, through the roof right so make set it up there you know maybe is 21 too much
2: i was gonna say 20 just because you think about the average you know let's say they're scoring 30 points in um you know in a quarter then to divide it by two add a little bit more
0: right i I like that the one thing i'd like to see changed at at, uh, tbt is uh take the team fouls erase them for the fourth quarter and go to one foul, one foul to give, and then you shoot. Because you don't want it to end on a free throw. Right. right? Well, they so, can... And if you're starting, you know, with 14 fouls, then it kind of limits your – make it so the defensive team can, can play a little bit. Yeah, you
2: know? absolutely. A because... for a steal,
0: not worry about a foul. And
2: Right. The newest, the newest update is if you foul, you get a free throw, and the offensive team gets the ball back, and that – Makes it harder to play defense if you are. Right. You know, I'd, take,
0: I'd, I'd give it a, have a foul to give and then let that rule kick in. Yep, absolutely. I've got a, uh, I got a two-part question
1: for you. Yes, part number, Part number one is who from TBT do you think would and should be in the NBA? And then the reverse side of it is which former NBA players – that you know, you've know you watched, called games for on the Hawks, around the league, that are not in the league anymore for whatever reason, do you think should be playing in TBT?
0: OK. Obviously, Joe Johnson. I, you know, he, he's not going to help a team in the NBA at this stage of his career on a day-to-day basis. But he's so good in the clutch, a team. And I thought it would happen in the bubble that somebody would pick him up just for the playoffs, just to have an experienced guy on the bench. And he could he could come in and play 12, 15 minutes and help you. He'd help you. Uh, so, obviously, Joe. Now, here's the guy I'm working on for next summer, Vince Carter. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he's joining us in a three-man booth on 10 different occasions. He was with us last night as we record this. It was January 24th. But he'll be with us again. And I I laid it out there. I said, Vince, you will own, own ESPN for two weeks in the summertime. People would go crazy if he was in this thing. And if he – you know, a couple of dunks and a few, couple of three-pointers and, you know, they got to get a Carolina team, I think, don't you? Absolutely. Right? Get Carolina and let him organize it and play, I think it would be super.
1: Well, with him, we, you know, he played so many extra years in the NBA that you know he doesn't care about, like, like – like there's guys who are going to retire when they're still averaging 18 – but then there's the guys like Vince that are like, no, I just want to keep playing basketball. So that's why you got to think that he'd be the kind of guy that would want to play in TBT.
0: And he, he'd be good at it because, you know, it's, it's, the games aren't that long. You know, it's 32 minutes. So it's a different type of game. Pardon?
2: It's a different type of game. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's conducive right. to, it's to, to, so the, you get, to the older players. Yeah, so,
0: you get a good run and it's fun. And, you know, it's serious basketball, which I think he would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but we got to, he said, he gotta, we got to get a Carolina team together before he would consider it. So, um, well, you got to
1: help us, you got to help us get him on the show then once he joins. Oh, team. yeah. Uh,
0: consider it done.
2: What <laughs> other teams, obviously we've mentioned North Carolina, what other teams would you like to see uh, have a college alumni team, in the TVT?
0: Well, you know, you want the blue bloods, right? But the problem is that all the guys are still playing. You know, and because when they quit, they're done playing, you know, these guys that are in TBT, you know, this is sort of their summer training camp, you know, to get ready to go overseas. So um, I think from a from an alumni name standpoint to have a Duke, a Carolina, a Kentucky, a Connecticut, you know, the, the Blue Bloods, a UCLA, you know, teams like that is the next level for TBT.
1: Yeah, and I think it really takes the next step when, you know, the Missouri. Su- to no, Missouri's gonna. Don't worry <laughs> about that. When I went to Mizzou, that's why he's saying that. But <laughs> when the Sullingers of every school are the ones coaching and being the GMs and the Evan Turners, you know, it's not just like. <laughs> this is a Duke alumni team and the coach was an assistant coach for coach K for one year. Like it's, it's, this is a Duke alumni team and John Shire is coming from Duke over the summer to be the assistant coach or coach that. K retires. And he's like, but I still want to coach a little bit. So yeah. let me coach DBT and yeah. yell it and yell it well, some we more get,
0: uh, journalists. I could go coach Bayhaw's army, you know, yep. right. Roy Williams can coach the Tar Heels.
1: Let we'll me get. tell you if coach K didn't like that, that college kid's question he's not going to want to come
0: on our show cuz
1: we, <laughs> we, we would be asking him a lot of, of, of questions that he would not want to
0: answer <laughs> all the more reason he should be on this show
1: yeah
2: oh, oh man i don't we don't, I don't we don't need to go there but <laughs> um, no I, I agree i think the more it get, it's TBT's always been the best because it's the perfect combination of random guys coming together to play right and then the alumni teams that range from Marshall to the Ohio States and the Marquettes of the world where you got right. before this year a bunch of no-name guys now they're the stars of the TBT the Elmore brothers right and then you also have the Sullingers and Aaron Kraft who every person in the country knows who knows basketball knows them so that's why TBT is so great it's just a. It's, imagine the step it takes if Vince Carter starts the North Carolina team, that's just the domino effect. I mean, from there, it's just, I mean, the game's over. And then we're interviewing John Shire, Vince Carter, and, and, and they're realizing that inside TBT is a national brand. And so is TBT. Well, but, it already
1: is.
0: It would yeah. just be more
1: established. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think Blake Griffin is ready for TBT.
0: Based on what I saw last week, yes.
1: Yeah, and Trey can be the ambassador. Trey could coach him. Yeah, he'd want to be out what? there. He'd he'd put on like a mustache and be like, "I'm yeah. Wade Wade Young. Let me play in the elementary."
0: <laughs> Trey could be the defensive coordinator. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding.
1: <laughs> oh man.
2: Well, Bob, this has been a, this has been a blast. One thing that we like to do uh, to to end each interview is flip the table on you and like give you the floor to ask us any questions that you've been dying to
1: ask
0: us. Well, how did you guys get started with TBT? Ooh, that's a
1: good question. Joe, I always tell it. Why don't you go? Um, so back in the day, as in five years ago. Yeah, he- <laughs> way back in the
2: day. Way back in the day. Uh, I was just starting at Ohio State, and through a mutual friend, Dan Friel gave me a call and said, hey, could you – Help me start an Ohio state team. And first of all, I was like, what is the TBT? <laughs> Second of all, I was like, I just got to school as a freshman in college. I barely know my teammates, let alone Aaron Kraft, Jared Salinger, Evan Turner, all these guys. Uh, thank you. I'm honored that you asked me, but I, there, there's nothing I can do. I'm afraid for my eligibility. I'm there's nothing I can do. So fast forward to a year and a half from then when Ohio state first joined as Scarlet and gray, um Dan asked me to help out um, be like the social media guy. So I was running the the Twitter and the Instagram for Scarlett and Gray, going to all the games. All my me and my teammates would all go to the games in Columbus, and then I would be sitting on the bench and they'd be like, What is who is the what is going on? Like we got the player of the year in the Big Ten, Kate Bates the yeah, up sitting in the stands, and I'm on the bench and whatever. <laughs> so um, so that's kind of how I started. Uh, me and Andrew have been friends for a while. We had our own little podcast. And we actually had Dan on before the TBT just to talk about Scarlet and Gray or Carmen's crew, as they're now called, talk about the TBT process, is there going to be a TBT, all that stuff. And we kind of – we finished the episode, and Andrew had a brilliant idea to bring up to him the fact that the TBT is this awesome brand, but they don't have, like, a connection – they have a great connection to the fans, but they don't have, like, guys doing it, like, as a job. So we kind of said, hey, we'd love to be the insiders. We would love to have a podcast, tell all the untold stories of TBT, you know, be be a, you know, just an extension of TBT so that you guys have to worry about one less thing. And, and by the way, we'll do it for free. And he was like, let's do it.
1: And then somehow – And then somehow it became you guys are going to do a five- to ten-minute episode at the end of every game also. So we did like 24 press conferences last year, which we didn't think we were doing. And then we got the Odd Elmore clip, and the rest is history. And here we are talking to the voice of
0: TVT. That's awesome, guys. Terrific. And, uh, you know, is Dan Friel not the go-to, right, encyclopedic knowledge of TVT? He is amazing. Remarkable. It is. I mean, he knows where all these guys are for the whole history of the tournament. It's unbelievable.
1: Absolutely. He's the best. Bob, we appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. We're keeping you for a second after we're done recording, though, because we need our, our brand-new Inside TBT introduction. <laughs> At no charge. At no charge. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you. All right. Thanks, Bob. You're
0: welcome, guys. Great to be with you.
1: All right, join us now on Inside TBT for a second time. The brains behind the Elam ending, Nick Elam. Nick, welcome to the show. It's great to be back with you guys. How are you? We're doing well. You know, when this comes out, the Browns might be eliminated. But right now, I'm I'm excited about the game. But I got something cool to tell you. So, yesterday – We talked to Joe Johnson, and we asked him, what do you think of the Elam ending? And, you know, we thought he'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's cool. He said, I love it. He absolutely loves it. He says that, you know, I was like, if you had the Elam ending in the NBA, you probably would have had 42 game winners, you know, in a season. So I wanted to start off by telling you that.
3: Well, hey, you just made my day right there. Um, Yeah, it's so cool to hear that feedback from people, you know, Who's, their livelihood is, is based on the game of basketball, so uh, that's really cool to me. Whether it's there from star players like Chris Paul, or you just said you know Joe Johnson, uh, something that's really cool to me is just people who are even could kind of consider themselves those very old school. People, people who have you know, been like lifelong high school coaches and things like that who you might think uh, wouldn't like the Elam ending, they love it. And that, it's all because uh, you know, it's not to change basketball. The whole idea is to, to keep basketball the same all the way through the end of the game and keep that good uh, fluid style, and then you get those great game-ending moments too. So uh, I think it has a lot of appeal for a lot of different people, including players just like Joe Johnson. I think it, from a marketability standpoint – uh, you know, if this were to be implemented at the highest levels of play, you know, to have your image tied to all these, you know, game-inning shots, game-winning shots, I think would be huge for players' uh, marketability.
2: I think what we've found through interviewing um, different guys in TBT who have played in TBT, people who are going to play in TBT, the only, the common thread between the Elam ending is the only people who don't like it are people who don't know what it is. So it's all about – educating because even a guy like you know me and Andrew who we've never experienced it we played basketball never experienced it as a fan we love it I think and we've talked about why the Elam ending is great and we don't need to rehash all that because anyone who's listening to this knows but have you did you learn anything new about the Elam ending this year maybe without a crowd or
3: anything like that maybe that was a little bit more interesting for you Yeah. So to back up just a little bit, you know, I never begrudge anybody for being skeptical or critical of the eliminating because that was me when I first thought of this idea way back in 2007. That was my initial stance is, okay, you know, I think I've got this idea, but there's got to be something that I'm missing here. There's got to be some flaw that I'm overlooking. So when I really started to explore it, that was kind of my goal is to figure out, well, why wouldn't this work? But the more I looked into it, I was like, oh, you know what, I really think that this could you know, address all the issues that I'm trying to address. And I think it could bring a lot of different, you know, kind of residual benefits to it. But um, so talking about this year in 2020, you know, there was one modification that we made in 2020 to the Elam ending when it had to do with fouls on the floor, how we handled fouls on the floor uh, during the Elam ending portion of the game. Where instead, you know, if you're in the bonus, and if you get on the floor, instead of automatically getting those two free throws, instead you get one free throw and the ball. And so for me, that's what I was looking at most closely is how does this, uh, you know, how does this affect the game? Does it, Is it doing what it's intended to do? Well, the, I was very pleased with it, and I think we're going to continue using that going forward. Um, and the best example of where it worked uh, was kind of the design of, of that rule change, which is when you get into – the situation where I call it the 3 two, one scenario where the offense is exactly three points away from the target score and the defense is either one or two points away. Because in the past we've seen, you know, there's kind of a rough equivalent in the regular format too, where, you know, you'll see the, the defense foul there in that situation to prevent that game winning three-pointer. So in, in 2020 where we saw that really play out was that sideline cancer overseas elite game where they're playing a the 67 – uh, sideline Cancer had the ball, they they, had, they were down 65, 64. So here's this exact situation where this rule was kind of intended, where you know normally we might see overseas elite foul to send them to the line to try to guarantee one more possession. Um, you know, when you're looking at it from Sideline Cancer's perspective, they're three points away, do they take that? Uh, try to make, try to win the game right there. Do they look for an easy two and hope to get a stop on the next possession? Um, you know, with that new rule, there's no incentive for overseas elite to foul there. We saw the situation play out more fluidly. And what we got was, you know, Moe Creek hitting that three-pointer which is just, I consider just an absolute classic uh, TBT moment, Elam Mending moment, set off just a great celebration. And so to see those kinds of situations play out more fluidly, that's exactly what that rule is intended for. And it was just, that was the best
1: example there in 2020. So I'm very pleased with that new rule change. So something we wanna do, and this is, this is putting you on the spot here a little bit. <laughs> We want to do a little thing where we give you Elamending rebuttals. You know, why? What do you say to the fan or the player who says this? And then we want to hear what your response is. So I'll go first. I got one. I think we got one or two each. First one. What do you say to a fan or a player who says, well, that means there's never going to be any half court game winning buzzer beaters?
3: So, okay. So, and great, you know, it's a great question. It's a great thought. Uh, you know, I call those, like, guilty pleasure buzzers. It's always fun to see somebody make a shot from half-court, and we'll still get those kinds of buzzer beaters, you know, in the, at the end of the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. But to me, when when the game is on the line, I want to see somebody take their best shot. To me, I think that's, uh, that's even more exciting is to see both teams be able to play their best when the game is really on the line. So you'll still see those kinds of, uh, you know, half-court buzzer beaters earlier in the game, but – when it's really crunch time, we're going to see both teams at their best. You know, I think back to that 2010 NCAA championship game between Duke and Butler, uh, you know, people kind of romanticize about this uh, half-court shot by Gordon Hayward that almost went in. Well, you know, to me, it's like, uh, I guess that's kind of exciting, but wouldn't it have been more exciting to have the game on the line, sudden death, both teams playing, you know, five-on-five half-court and see Butler get to take their, their best shot? To me, I think that would have been even more exciting than to see him, you know, take this uh, – half-court shot that, you know, almost went in. The, the best
2: argument there that you that – because that, this is something that I think I'm a little skeptical because it, it's just fun. You know, it's just fun and it makes the, the highlight takes, right, at the end of the year. and But your answer of you're still going to get a half-court shot at the end of the first, second, third quarter, that cures it for me. But one thing that I'm really curious about, and we've talked about this before and it's near and dear to my heart, what do you tell walk-ons who will never get to play now because they're – the game is never really in hand.
3: I love this question too. And and uh, I welcome this question because, you know, so, I mean, one, one of the ideas behind the Elam ending is that it's going to make late comebacks more likely. And so, you know, normally under the regular format, let's say if you're a coach, if it's really late in the game, and maybe if you have a 20-point lead, maybe you feel comfortable putting in your walk-ons. Well, with the Elam ending, you know, that lead's not as secure. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe – you need to have a 25 or 30 point lead before you feel comfortable putting your walk-ons in. So as far as like the number of games that walk-ons would get into the game, it would be fewer. But think about this. Now that they're in the game, instead of just kind of dribbling around aimlessly, you know, killing time, now they have a chance to make the shot that wins the game. You know, even though you're you're, uh, putting the exclamation point on a 25 or 30 point victory, you're still putting the ball through the net to win the game. And, so I call that the walk-on, walk-off shot. And, you know, think about it. If that, if that happens in a high school game, if that happens in a college game, the fans are going to go absolutely crazy when that happens. Uh, so I think even for walk-ons, even though uh, they're not going to get into as many games, they're
1: still going to get that chance to make a shot that they're going to remember for a lifetime. Do you think – and I love walk-on, walk-off. That's amazing. That's a great line right there. Unbelievable. you Do you think, though, that, like, there would be coaches who, you know – One high school puts their walk-ons in and there's eight points left or 10 points left. And the other coach is like, all right, let's take advantage of the walk ons starters. You're in, let's come back.
3: Well, and that's why I say, you know, probably have to have a little bit of a bigger lead under the Elam ending to feel comfortable uh, than, you know, you would with the regular format. So it'll be interesting to see that play out. I hope there is an opportunity to play that out. And, you know, that's that's what's really cool here. I, I still I still think the Elam ending is kind of in its infancy as far as implementation goes. I love seeing coaches and players, you know, push the limits of it. Let's see what works, what doesn't work. Let's see what the tendencies are uh, so that we can fine-tune it and make it even better.
1: I think we're due for, like, eventually an Elam ending game to end on like a 20 to two run like a team literally is is three or two or one point away and like we saw the other day in the imagine if that Michigan uh was it Michigan Minnesota no Wisconsin I think Wisconsin Yeah, yeah yeah if Michigan Wisconsin if that game had an Elam ending and it was like really close and then just all of a sudden it was like Elam ending 40 point win or if they got all the way up and then you know, Wisconsin came back. That would have been crazy, too. Nick? Yeah, it, it, it's it's
3: cool to think about, you know, what is truly, like, that breaking point where... What's impossible? <laughs> impossible I mean, to I, come I, back.
2: I don't, I don't know how what, what, much Ohio State play yesterday, but that was... It was literally the Elam ending without the Elam ending. Illinois is known for going on runs out of nowhere, and we were up, you know, 18 in the middle of the second half. And I say we because, obviously, I'm an Ohio State guy. And Illinois just comes roaring back. It's, like, literally the... It's like having an Elam ending without the Elam ending because Ohio State only had a couple buckets towards the end of the game, but it was
3: enough to win. Yeah, I, and I'm thinking back to 2020. You know, the best uh, the best comeback in 2020 was heard uh, that against the Money team. I forget what the difference was when the Elam ending started, but I know it got to a point later on where the money team was down 11 I think they were down 97 86 with the target score of 101 and they were able to get the stops that they needed and come back and win the game and that was just unbelievable Um, so and we've seen games you know in the past past years where a team was absolutely truly had their back against the wall they could not give up one more score they were going to lose game, and they do get stops on six straight, seven straight, eight straight possessions, and come back and win the game, you know, those are the kinds of comebacks we would never see under the regular format, and here we are, you know, seeing it, um, you know, much more frequently under the Elam ending.
1: What I think is is the coolest is when a team is down like 10 or 12 with like eight minutes left, and they make it close to go into the Elam ending, because then you're like, oh, now we got a game. This is going to be like like, it's it's obviously crazy if a team is down 10 going into the Elam ending and they, and they close on, like, an 18-2 to two run or whatever. But to make it close for the start of the Elam ending and then you got guys like Marcus Keene and Joe Johnson that you know are going to be going back and forth in the Elam ending, that's what I think is very cool. And my final question, but you look well, like you got something to say. So I was going to add, add one, one, first. one thing
3: to that, if that's all right. Um, Please. Yeah, because I, I – think i agree the urgency you start to see some urgency earlier in that fourth quarter you know i look at kind of like the six minute stretch to the four minute mark you know when they shut off the clock you know that that you've got to make your move then you know you you'd said something about you know a 10 point deficit yeah i think you've got to try to get it down to about five or six or seven you know before the clock gets shut off or you're you've really got a, a big mountain to climb and so that really you know adds to the urgency um you know i think when the was first put into play we would see you know the, the leading team start to slow it down a little bit during that 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 stretch of the game and the the trailing defense was a little bit too accommodating letting them run down the clock now we're starting to see the trailing team really ramp up the pressure uh play some tough defense and force the issue during that time so it's making for a great like exciting stretch to set up for the elam mending.
1: so the most brilliant people in the world, you know, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, all those guys, they don't just have one product. You know, they got tons of products. Apple has iPad, you know, computer. We're all using computer right now. There's so many products. We joked with Seth Greenberg that you should be on the team helping get the vaccine ready because you're so smart and have these incredible ideas. But legitimately I'm wondering what is uh what's Nick Elam cooking up right now? What is in your mind? What are some other things you got cooking? We want to know.
3: Yeah, well, I'm not even going to I appreciate your kind words, but I don't put myself anywhere in the same company as the people who are doing those things to to bring our society back to uh, where it was. But, you know, when it comes to sports, sports innovation, you know, one idea that I really like, I won't necessarily say this is an original idea because, you know, I've heard it discussed elsewhere, but I really think it would be a cool idea is, you know, when you get to the postseason of any any league, any event really, uh, whether that's the NBA, Major League Baseball, you know, NCAA tournament, whatever it might be, uh, you know, instead of just automatically locking teams into a certain spot on the playoff bracket, instead, you know, based on your based on your seed, you would, you would essentially set up like a playoff draft where the top team gets to pick who their first-round opponents be. Then the second the second seed gets to pick from the teams that are left. And what you get is, you know, because sometimes you know, sometimes just because the team's the lowest seed that doesn't necessarily mean that's the most favorable matchup for whoever the top seat is. That, that lowest seat might be on a, a hot streak or maybe some other teams had, uh, you know, an injury or something like that. So, you know, let that top team pick who they want to play. And so I think it serves that practical purpose. And then also just from a fan's perspective, it sets up so many great storylines of like, oh, okay, you wanted to play us, huh? So that sets up, you know, that adds a little juice going into the playoffs and it, you know, kind of a, from a dollars and cents standpoint, it sets up like this perfect, made for TV, uh, you know, playoff draft, uh, you know, to lead into the playoffs. So I think it again would would make a lot of sense for a lot of stakeholders. Uh, we, we've actually heard Major League Baseball say that they might go to a format like this in the future. So it'll be interesting to see who's going to do it first. But I think we might see something like that happen. I'm picturing in the for the NCAA
2: tournament a selection show, but that's just to tell you who's in the tournament. You know, it's not. In the West region, it's just like, hey, here is numbers, one through 68. And then it goes, all right, Coach Few, Gonzaga's the number one overall seed. <laughs> you Which team, which Southern Mississippi State Tech team do you want to play? And he goes, you know, I don't know any of these guys, so I'm going to take this one. Like, that's it's awesome.
3: I agree 100% with you, uh, you know, because the, the tournament committee has such a tough job. You know, it's tough enough just to pick out which teams are in and, you know, rank them one through 68 and then try to find, like, the perfect – uh, you know, bracketing, uh, you know, considering the geography and everything. I think it's just an impossible task for the committee. So let's take some of that off their plate and, you know, they still have to pick the teams, still have to rank the teams, but then let's outsource the rest of it to the teams themselves, pick, you know, who you want to play, what site you want to play at, um, you know, and then there's no more complaining anymore of, Hey, you know, we got a bad draw here. So, and so it's, again, it serves that practical purpose. Plus, it's exciting. It's fun to see how the the tournament and the bracket take shape. So you read my mind there on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a million different things we could get into from the ideas that, you know, mid-major teams don't get as much love. Well, okay. It's not up to the the conferences. It's the teams that they're playing that are deciding that. So Wofford, when they were a 7 seed because they were incredible, maybe they end up being a 12 seed because some team goes, you know what, I don't believe in in Wofford or vice versa, which is – storylines. I mean, it's just, it's just tremendous. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> That'd be so, oh, and it, t- it puts even more, like I'm putting myself in my shoes when we were watching the selection show in coach Holton's house and we're, we're not wondering whether we're in or, or, or who we're playing. We're wondering if we're going to be in, it just like adds another element to like, okay, like whoever picks us wants to play us like in a bad way. Like that's even more fun. It's just, it's just very fun. Like as a fan, like it would make it so much better. It's like, why is Gonzaga picking to play this team when they could play this team? And yeah, that's just, I mean, that'd be very, very fun.
3: I think the perfect combination for, you know, an innovative idea is that it's fun and that it's practical. And that's what I think about the e Ending, And that's what I think, you know, this kind of a choose your own adventure playoff format might be
1: too. So we'll see who, you know, who out there in the sports world is going to be first to try that out. I agree. I think the last thing we want to do, because, you know, we think you're so smart is we want to flip the floor onto you and any questions that you have for us, we want to answer them.
3: All right. So the, you know, I think there's many great settings where we might see, you know, cause obviously I want to see the element and grow throughout the basketball world. And I think there's a lot of great settings where it might be implemented, you know, in 2020, we saw it uh, take, hold in in FIBA for the first time, it got uh, implemented in the Canadian Elite Basketball League. But let's focus again on the United States at the top levels, whether it's the NBA with uh, the G League or the Summer League or the in-season tournament that they're proposing. If it's college basketball, maybe it's the NIT, the CBI, the CIT, one of those postseason tournaments. Maybe it's the WNBA or women's college basketball. So my question to you is, I'm going to ask you to make a bold prediction uh, of those uh, settings at the highest levels which do you think might be the next to implement the ELAM ending and what year
1: do you think that might happen? Andrew, you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. So first, I don't think college should do it. And this is why I think that there are some games that are so low scoring in college where, you know, it's just Joey and I talk about this all the time. Like you watch college and you watch NBA and it's just like they're, they're kids like they're, They're normal. They're humans. Like, it's hard.
2: But I like that Andrew doesn't.
1: Right. So, I'm saying (laughs) if we added the Elam ending to, you know, a 55-51 college game, it would just push off, like, the ugly no scoring. So, I actually think it works much better in, you know, an NBA setting. And all I can think about – and I don't want to give a prediction just because I have no clue, but I will say this. And this is – I'm doing what I hate when people do in the interviews, which is not answering the question. But (laughs) – I would love to see Steph Curry make an Elam ending game winning three and have, you know, Golden State's new arena be packed with fans and just going absolutely crazy. So I'll I'll give a prediction. I say 2025 we see some sort of Elam ending test. And maybe earlier if CP3 is really, really pushing it, saying I love this, I love this. But I think COVID pushed it back a few years where people are just going to be okay with whatever product they see because they didn't have it for a little while. So I say 2025, Steph Curry, t- kind of towards the end of his career, is going to have a season full of Elam Enders.
2: I love it. Um, I will answer the question, because, I, and I don't know why, Andrew. I, I mean, you did answer the question. I did answer that it. It's going to be in the NBA in 2025. But um, I will go the college route because it seems like every single year, the NIT has some random rule that they add to the tournament for – to really, to get more eyes on the games because they are fairly irrelevant in the grand scheme of March Madness, right? I mean, I was I played in the NIT and I felt like it was a glorified exhibition game because we were so mad that we weren't in the tournament. Now, there are a bunch of teams that are incredibly, number one, happy to be there, and number two, um, looking to seize the opportunity that they have to play off basketball, postseason basketball which is awesome. I just had a bunch of teammates who didn't want to be there, so it rubbed off on me. But I think, I mean, the NIT had a shorter shot clock, a deeper three, all of that stuff before it came to NCAA basketball. So I think it's a no-brainer for the NIT to say, all right, this year, it's the Elam ending. It's literally, we're taking the basketball tournament and putting it in the NIT. It's It'll literally be all the same, right? I mean, it's the same shot clock, it's the same three-point line, and you just add the Elam ending. It just makes a It just makes a 7.30 game on a Tuesday night where it's Stanford versus, you know, like UC Irvine, like where no one would be watching it before. Now it's like, okay, people are – not only are they gambling on the game, but now they're gambling on who's going to make the ELAM ending. I mean, it just like creates all the much-needed – you know, noise around the NIT. So that's what, and and if I had to give a year, I mean, it could be next year for all I know. The NIT literally changes something every single year. Right. So I'll say in two years from now, the NIT
1: has the ULM. Nick, Nick is smiling. Like that's already, you know, about to happen. And we just don't know about it yet.
3: I don't have any inside info on that, but, you know, either of your predictions, I would sign up for that right now. Absolutely. And, Joe, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the who's going to make the game-winning shot in Elam ending. You know, we haven't even talked about what I think are really exciting wagering implications of the Elam ending. One of those is that prop bet of who's going to make the shot any given night. You know, people – you know, experts or, or people who are totally to wagering I think are going to be excited about making that prop bet uh, and, and add a lot of fun to it and I think that would be a win-win for fans, for sportsbooks, for leagues um, so I think that's just one more benefit to the format. It's the
2: perfect way to if you're losing in the game you pick the wrong team or whatever it's the perfect way to live bet your way back into into the green into the money column so I, 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 and I don't know that from experience just from what Andrew told me. <laughs>
1: Well, I was going to say, Nick, I want to I save all the – because we love having you on. So we should save the gambling aspect of the Elam ending until the next episode. And maybe we'll do like a full guide to betting on TBT episode where we talk about like the keys to betting and then you give your ideas for how the Elam ending could be worked into that. And then we'll get an executive from FanDuel on as well. <laughs> I love it. For, for entertainment purposes only. For exactly. entertainment purposes only
2: bet responsibly or not at all <laughs>
1: if you have a gambling problem go to 1-800-GAMBLING or call 1-800-GAMBLING <laughs> alright Nick thank you we appreciate it yeah. definitely we'll talk to you, thank soon, you. guys absolutely. absolutely always a blast
3: talk to you soon